The Commentary Booth is a show for media lovers by media lovers just like you. If you want to support the show, go to pariomagazine.com.au. Welcome to the Commentary Booth, where we watch, and you guessed it, commentate on the week that was in movies and TV. I'm your host and play-by-play commentator, Jam Yaps, and each week I'm joined by a rotating cast of colour commentators to help you find your next viewing treat. This week, I'm joined by the man behind Original Geek and one of the hosts of Down Under the Ring podcast. Welcome to the show, Fid McAwesome. Hey, hey, thanks for having me on, dude. We've, we've been interacting for a wee while online, and uh, it's nice to actually be talking to you in person. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on, and as soon as I saw this show pop up, I was like, yep, this is going to be the perfect crossover episode from Down Under the Ring in the commentary booth. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so in terms of a bit of background, why don't you go ahead and sort of introduce yourself to our audience and sort of tell them all about Original Geek and the Down Under the Ring podcast. Yeah, okay, so... Uh, uh... I'm Fit McAwesome. Um, I've been working in video games, uh, marketing uh, for over 10 years, um, have done so for pretty much every big brand you can think of. And I've uh, recently uh, decided to go independent and launched uh, Original Geek off the back of all of the work I've done for all these other brands and agencies in the past and uh, going off and doing it ourselves, which is super exciting. Myself, my wife and another uh, business partner have uh, launched it going really well uh, we've got some awesome stuff coming up uh, uh, in the coming months which uh, keep an eye on our socials to see if you can be involved if you're a content creator because we're working with a lot of content creators uh, from not just gaming so historically I've always worked in gaming but uh, with this new business we're taking advantage of all the other interest groups that we have ridiculous knowledge on so it's uh, everything from um uh, gaming to pop culture and then we've sort of grouped in uh fandom as well which is sort of over all encompassing of things like pro wrestling ufc uh cars basically anything that has a obsessive fan base around it we're using our knowledge to be able to help brands connect with that audience uh so and on the side of it i've been a pro wrestling nerd for a long time uh, since i was a kid I was a WWF fan in the 80s, WCW kid in the 90s. Uh, Yeah, it's just been ongoing. Uh, I I used to try and water down how much of a wrestling fan I was on social media. Uh, But in the last few years, I've just gone, screw it. This is who I am. I'm a massive wrestling nerd. Um, And uh, we launched Down Under the Ring 10 weeks ago, I believe, maybe 11 and it was myself and uh the warship who is was actually a talent that i worked with on the gaming side of things because he's a twitch streamer as well, well as a pro wrestler me and him essentially the podcast came out of me and him having business meetings around work stuff and those business meetings would essentially be 10 minutes of us talking shop about a promotion or a campaign of got him working on or whatever and then we'd spend the next hour talking about what's happening in pro wrestling <laughs> So we were like, you know what? And we talked about it for about two or three years. Was about, We really need to start a podcast, bro. And um, finally, yeah, we decided, screw it. I already owned the uh, rights to the name Down Under the Ring. I'd secured it a long time ago and done nothing with it. So we just did it. And here we are 11 weeks later, and we've had some amazing guests on. We've started arguably at uh, one of the busiest times in pro wrestling with the amount of stuff that's happening across AEW, WWE, on the business side of things with acquisitions. And uh, this week's going to be a bit of a messy week with uh, a lot of the business happenings. But uh, hey, it's it's fun. Yeah, not, not the greatest week for talent, but great week for podcasters and news. Oh, exactly, right. And I saw... Is the, you switch to like splitting the episodes into two, is that a permanent move or is that? Yeah, we just started that this week. So essentially that came out of, we were having trouble trying to keep the show down to uh, around about an hour because we find that an hour is a sweet spot for a podcast. It's not too long for people to listen to on the way to work and on the way home, but it's also long enough that you feel like you've listened to a decent show. And we were having so much trouble trying to keep it down to an hour talking about WWE, AEW, 
um, and we sort of sprinkle in a bit of uh, the other brands as well. But we also try and make sure we're giving Australia and New Zealand promotions a lot of love as well. And trying to squeeze all of that into an hour was so hard. Mm-hmm. So what we've decided, screw it, we're splitting the show in two. We're doing a WWE episode every week and an AEW episode every week. And so far, um, we've done it for the first week. It was it's flowed really nicely. It's also helped us structure the shows better as well because we were sort of hopping from topic to topic throughout the show and we'd be talking about WWE uh, at the start and then we'd go over to the other brand and we were chopping and changing. So it's helped us actually structure the show a lot better too. Very nice. And then in terms of sort of our coverage areas on the commentary booth, movies and TV, what would you say are your favourite movies and TV shows? Oh, I'm a Marvel nerd, bro. Marvel and Star Wars. Oh, lovely. All you have to do is have a look at my tattoos and um, you'll see how much of a nerd I am. It's um, I've got like Star Wars tattoos and I've got DC tattoos and Marvel tattoos and that's really, I'm just into nerdy shit, if I'm going to be honest. But in saying that, I also love good bioflex as well, mm-hmm. like um, biographies of musicians and stuff like that because I'm a massive music nerd as well. So I, I'm a sucker for a good bioflex. Perfect. Yeah, if you check out, have you got Prime Video? Yes, yeah, I've got almost every subscription. I spend way too much money on that stuff. Me too. Uh, maybe check out the Cassandro film that just dropped on okay. Prime Video. I will have to check that out. It's very good, especially if you like a bioflick and you love yep. wrestling. It's the perfect crossover. I will have a look. So before we dive into our topic this week covering Netflix's documentary series, Wrestlers, I uh, just want to give recognition that Paria Magazine stands in solidarity and support of the WGA and SAG-AFTRA in their fight for better working conditions. Our publication has always been focused on the creative brilliance of the individuals rather than the business of TV and film. As such, we're continuing to highlight all of their creative talents during this time so that their contributions to our entertainment is not overlooked. Thankfully, it looks like that strike might be coming to an end soon. Power to them, man. Yes, very much so. Suits, the most like viewed show on Netflix the last like three months and anyone involved gets no payouts for it. I'll tell you what, as, as somebody that lived through the uh, strike in the early 2000s and saw the damage it did to the industry then, I hope that it does, they come to a resolution. But in saying that, I also don't want to rush the process, man, because all these people deserve to be paid everything that they are worth and have their uh, likenesses and careers and all that um, secured and safe and uh, promised to them. Yeah, 100%. But this week, we're sort of getting away from that. (laughs) We're climbing into the squared circle, venturing into the world of independent professional wrestling as we react and review the Netflix docuseries Wrestlers. On that sort of strike front, weird that wrestling isn't involved in SAG-AFTRA because they're essentially actors as well. Yeah, yeah, essentially they are, but they wrestling has always fit into a weird sort of thing where it's a pre-written show, but the way that the industry is run is arguably shady when it comes to the way that they handle their staffing and stuff like that because like all the wrestlers are all independent contractors. They're not paid actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not treated as paid actors. They don't have a union. And I assume that there would be massive pushback, especially from the WWE side, if there ever was a union. I've always been a uh, massive proponent for unions and stuff, so I hope that they are able to get some protection. But look, arguably, AEW is doing a better job of looking after their talent and doing things that WWE don't when it comes to looking after their booking of flights and accommodation and all that sort of thing and paying for that for them. But we're going to go down a massive segue of a track that uh, is away from this TV show if I continue going. <laughs> so in terms of the, the Wrestlers documentary series, 2023 documentary series focusing on Ohio Valley Wrestling, which is now led by Al Snow. OVW is a promotion which has fallen from its glory days, molding the likes of Brock Lesnar, John Cena, Dave Batista, Randy Orton, and The Miz for the big time, but now led by Al Snow, who struggles to make ends meet under new ownership and with new young talent. Directed by Greg Whiteley, who previously brought us the Cheer series on Netflix which documented the world of collegiate cheerleading. What did you think of this show before we dive into breaking down the characters and some of the storylines? I think it's a 
well-produced show. This guy's got a really good history of making this style of uh, docu-series. And he, he does a great job of pulling together multiple stories so that it makes sense. And it's beautifully shot. It's a good combination of using... Um, footage that they've shot as well as tying in footage from their own uh from OVW's productions and telling a really good story of how things are actually done behind the scenes because I mean I'm going to assume that 90% of viewers of this docu-series are going to be wrestling fans and a lot of us know the basics of the inner workings of the industry kayfabe died a long time ago for those who don't know what kayfabe is it's the terminology of uh trying to keep it real and pretending that pro wrestling is a very real sport it died a long time ago mm-hmm. so we all know the ins and outs from a basic point of view but i think it's been great to see it from a granular point of view of seeing uh you know even at the smaller level how the storylines are come up with uh, how they're pitched um you know what's going on behind the scenes with some of the dramas between the talent as well as management and because this is a smaller business seeing all the dramas of the people that are financing this and trying to turn the business around. It's it's a super interesting uh, look into it that we haven't really seen from in this sort of detail before. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a a great uh, depiction of independent professional wrestling, especially like the, the audiences, the different varied audiences that these sort of shows can draw. Like they, there's some, some episodes here where they show a show that has, lucky to have maybe 50 to 100 people there and then they'll have other shows that are sold out yeah well there was one pay-per-view that also only pulled like 75 views the entire like globally mm-hmm. and you're like wow i've seen twitch streamers pull more than this concurrently yeah and it explains why they're losing so much money i think what was that are they they were targeting 500 pay-per-view buyers to basically break even yeah and then they got 74 at 14.99 a pop yeah, and they're losing $2,000 a week on the production of the TV show. Mm-hmm. Yep, $30,000 a month. And then uh, towards the end of the season, they say that they lost $180,000 in the seven-month period. God, it's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal amount of money to lose. I also think the biggest story in this is, uh, from a business perspective, is somebody that's I hate using the term businessman, but you know, I'm I'm a business person. I've been working in business for a long time. And one of the first lessons you learn in business is putting the right people in the right role, you know, and Al Snow is a legend in the pro wrestling business. He's an amazing storyteller. He's a great trainer. He's not a businessman. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) And I think that's where the friction ends up coming through with, uh, Al and Matt, the new owner as well. Yeah. Because they're, they're both trying to do each other's roles at points. Like Al's trying to do business bookings and like book shows and things, mm. which Matt is also trying to do. And then they're both trying to like contribute to the creative aspects. And it's just, we need to all define our roles a bit better, I think. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And look, right at the start, uh, the two new owners, is it Matt and who's the other bloke? Oh. Craig? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they quite vocal about the fact that they are investing in this and they know that it's not a money-making business and all this sort of thing. And then later on, it's like, we need to make money. Mm-hmm. So, dude, you've gone to the wrong business straight away. But uh, even as business people, the way that they're handling a lot of their operations as investors is really weird to me as well. Like, uh, there's that whole bit with the guy who's looking after the marketing. Um, where they basically say, you've got to prove yourself or else you're going to lose your job, dude. It's like, well, that's all you've said. You have given this dude no guidance, haven't told him how he can improve his job, or literally all you've done is get better or fuck off. Mm -hmm. And especially like with those guys, especially like Matt, who works in radio and like promotion is kind of his area. So like he could really mentor that guy and, and help him. I actually come from a radio background. That's what I was trained in. It's what I worked in before I got into what I'm doing now. And uh, on the front of it, it's an entertainment business, but it's a promotional business. Like you are 100%, everything you're doing is selling the advertiser's uh, product, reading ad reads, it's promoting. It's a, You are a one-person promoter on live on air. And this dude just can't seem to figure out how to do it he does a great job of promoting um ovw during his shows by the sounds of it but outside of that he doesn't seem to have a clue what he's doing 
yeah, like he could have taken this guy under his wing and really helped him. And it sort of, to me, that highlighted the importance of having respect for the business in terms of both ownership and promoters, mm. but like also just having respect for the talent as well, because that guy that he te- tells to get better or get out, he's also doing video and editing work. He's the commentator. Yeah, he's the graphic designer. Wearing different hats all the time, doing all different things. And apparently he's not worth what he's being paid. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, and the guy's doing a lot of work. It just sounds like the dude needs some guidance on how to do a better job of what he's doing, right? Um, to be honest, he could probably do a better job if you took some of those jobs off him. Mm-hmm, exactly. Like he's, what, I think he said he's doing 40 hours a week of like between all of the roles. It's like, yeah, no wonder he's kind of half-assing all of them. I think he mentioned somewhere in episode two that he, he spent like 20 hours doing graphics mm. for the show to promote the show. Also, that is one, that's a massive amount of time to be spending on that because graphics is an element of marketing, right? All you had to do was take that role off him, hire someone off, like, honestly, hire someone off Fiverr. Yeah. Hire someone off Fiverr to do the graphics for you. Photoshop and motion graphics and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then... That frees this guy up to focus on marketing us for you. Yep. Bit silly in terms of stuff like that, in terms of the how the business is run. But to me, that also screams like independent wrestling as well, where everybody has different hats and does lots of different roles to get shows up and running. It's definitely not a surprise, right? I've worked for enough smaller business and startups where, you know, your job your job description says one thing, but what you actually do is a million different things. And like I said, I work work with Twitch streamers and stuff all the time as part of my job. They're all the same as well. You know, they're not just a streamer. They're a marketing person. They're a writer. They're an editor. They're a, you name it. You know, they're their own accountants. They do everything. Social media manager, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, not surprising that they've got people in those roles that are doing multiple things, but the leadership should be guiding a lot more. And I feel like Al is the man on the floor running the business is so focused on the old school way of doing things and more focused on storylines and the show and the training and stuff like that, that he's letting the promotion of the business and the running of the business and all that sort of thing fall away and then wondering why it's not working. Why am I not getting enough people watching the show? I don't understand. The storylines are great. Who knows about your storylines? Like, do they have a TikTok account? Do they have an uh, Instagram account? Are they putting out interesting content on those platforms? I highly doubt they are. I haven't actually looked, to be honest. But Yeah, well, until like this show, I had totally forgotten about OVW. Back in the day when they had those bigger names under contract and were training those people, like I remember being, oh, OVW is developmental. And then as soon as they lost that, it was like, no, they're gone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What is that? Florida Championship Wrestling essentially killed OVW. Mm-hmm. And then NXT killed fcw oh well that was sort of like a more of a merge right it was like a we're going to take this and make it a bigger thing yep uh i think florida championship wrestling was wholly owned by wwe yes yeah whereas obw was high, at one stage was run by paul Heyman. Mm-hmm. it's been through a lot of hands <laughs> yeah but you had one of the greatest minds in the business running that show but in saying that their job wasn't to get viewers and make money and stuff like that. Like they would have been paying, being paid handsomely by WWE to train all these people. Mm-hmm. Well, they were just a training ground that just so happened to put on shows. Yeah, it was just like, let's blood these people and give them some experience in front of a live audience rather than like in a, a warehouse somewhere. I, I, I love watching that old OVW footage too, like seeing the likes of Batista and uh, John Cena and all that when they were sort of getting seasoning and, uh, it's amazing footage to watch because you can sort of see how far they've come. Also, you see the ones that they had it right at the start and they just needed to get ready for TV. That's And that's another thing this show sort of highlights that OVW is still like clinging to those days as like their big draw card. And I yep. kind of don't think that's really the way they should be leaning. Like with some of the independent promotions here in Australia, like MCW and PWA, like they highlight their alumnists and talent like, hey, these people came from here, but they're not our focus anymore. Like, no, they're gone. Now it's these are these are the new people coming through. These are the ones that you should be backing and supporting moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they they, they sort of 
bring back some of the guys that work for like AEW that are allowed to work independent shows. Like I think uh, one of the champs at MCW's buddy. Yeah, he's the heavyweight champion, I think. Yeah, heavyweight champion. So, And they bring in some awesome international guys, but a lot of their focus is still their own guys, right? Mm-hmm. PWA are the same. Like they, they're constantly like, they'll shout out Grayson Waller. Yep. I saw today they just announced Jesse McKay is coming back to do like a training seminar there. So, a lot, and a lot of that is those those guys that are giving back to the place where they came from as well, right? Yeah, which is probably what OVW should be doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, actually, I find it stunning that they don't seem to have any of their alumni coming back at all, especially the respect that um, Al has. Like, I was literally just reading uh, Mankind. Uh, they, um, his book. Yep. And the amount of love he gives Al Snow throughout the entire book, right? So he's revered and respected in this industry, but he doesn't seem to be able to bring in any big names to sort of train and, or even just appear on the show or whatever. Yeah. Like even just like running a seminar to like, this is what you need. Like these are the key factors to do well on like a TV aspect. And yeah, they don't sort of get any of that, which makes me think what, what sort of bridges were burned during that separation from WWE at the time? Potentially. I'll tell you one of the other things about this show that made me laugh was the big lie that they told of being the only weekly TV show outside of WWE and AEW. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's an absolute lie. Like, you've got Booker T, his promotion in the States, puts out a weekly show, Reality of Wrestling. It's out every week, and they create they're, – they're, arguably doing a better job than OVW now of creating stars that are signed to both WWE and AEW to a lesser degree, probably a bigger degree, to be honest. You've also got Ring of Honor putting out uh, weekly shows as well, which you could argue is part of AEW, I suppose. But, you know, there's a whole bunch of other show, um, uh, companies out there. MLW have a weekly show, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. MLW do weekly shows as well, yeah. Like there's, there are pe- other people out there doing it and doing it successfully. Yeah, I... I think what they're like banking on there is saying that it's tv because it is on a broadcast it's only like a local tv network but it's on a tv network whereas is the reality of wrestling on a tv network or is it like a streamed show that's a good point i'm not sure if they are on tv tv i'd have to look into that but um i think that's their like caveat of where we're on the tv network but that's arguably the mistake that uh, al's making as well right is TV's not where it is anymore. How many people still have their TV plugged into an aerial? Mm-hmm. Like most people I know watch TV through a Chromecast or through um, online platforms on their TV now, on apps. Yep, I watch two two things on over-air TV these days. I watch The Chase at 5 o'clock and The News at 6, and that's it. Yeah, well, see, I don't even watch the news anymore. I get all mine from um, online. Yeah, and I really only do that because I sit down, eat dinner, and watch the news. Yeah, 100%. So it's not like I'm, it's not appointment viewing like TV used to be in the 90s. No. And the, uh, you've got to have pretty good uh, TV, live TV to be able to pull that off. And even then, like, I'm watching SmackDown and Raw live, but I'm watching it on binge. I'm watching AEW and uh, Ring of Honor on Fight. Uh, so I'm not getting that on um, free-to-air TV, even though I can get it. I swear, not on free to air, but you know, I can get it uh, on terrestrial television. Oh yeah, because yeah, AEW is on ESPN now, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. wild to me when that was announced. Yeah. And then a couple of the other overall things that I noted down were, I loved how it showed that sort of every wrestler kind of just has to look out for themselves on the independent scene, in particular, like uh, Haley and her mum Maria commit to when they commit to the women of wrestling. Yep. Yeah, it just shows it. Like, as soon as an opportunity is presented on that independent circuit, wrestlers kind of have to take it, not so much like have any loyalties. Like if something bigger comes along, you you jump at that chance. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. And and it looks like um, Haley J just got a massive opportunity this week. So mm-hmm. I hope she I hope she did well after that. Like this show really made me think she's a star as long as she can sort of get a personal life straight. Yeah, if she can, if she can keep control of the weed smoking and uh all that sort of thing like i think her it was actually her partner was the one who uh raised the issue really well is she's one of these wrestlers that live their gimmick Mm -hmm. 
and if she can keep that under control, I think she's the only star there. That and um, uh, Shira. Yep, Mahabali Shira. The Indian guy, he's amazing. So I'm going to say this. I think they're the only two stars on that whole roster that I could see making it. I didn't realize Shira was already signed to Impact. It's just he's not used. Oh, is he still signed to Impact? Apparently he is still signed to Impact currently. That's weird. I know, right? Because he's off doing Uber delivery to keep the uh, bills paid. Yeah, I thought he went Impact, WWE, then got released and is just floating in OVW. So apparently he got released, went back to Impact, and is still signed there, apparently. Interesting. Something I read. Yeah. He must be on one of those only paid-to-work contracts. Yeah, one of the lower-tier ones. Yeah. But uh, look, I think he's a star. Like, he's ready to go as well. Uh, he just needs a good story. But And that's the problem is if he got signed by the likes of WWE, you know they're going to put him in an Indian gimmick. Mm-hmm. Where he doesn't need that. Like, I think he could be a star just with a normal gimmick. Which I think is what they, they do in OVW. They just let him be like the, monst- the monster yeah. heel and face whenever he's at the time and he does so well in that role. And I think um, Haley J's character is amazing and if they do sign her at WWE or if AEW end up picking her up, I think one of the two will. I hope they let her keep this Trailer Park Princess gimmick mm-hmm. because I think it's amazing. It's like she's got this attitude of I'm better than everybody, but we all know she's not. Yeah, it's it's such a unique gimmick. Yeah, you know, she's a little bit she's a little bit trashy and it's it's awesome. I love it. In terms of her as well, like this also highlighted that there are some bad eggs that get into professional wrestling in terms of drug addiction and uh, her partner with domestic violence was that gets quite heavy towards the end of the season. Uh, I am not up to that part. I didn't realize that that was a thing. This is okay. I'm, I'm curious to see how that ends up. It was funny, though, because he was the guy where I was like, what is his gimmick? Is his gimmick that he sits in a car and talks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he does that the whole season. That's his whole, like, all of his interview segments are him, like, leaning out of his car window. And it's not even a nice car. It was so weird. The weirdest framing I've ever seen for an interview on a documentary. But when I was looking at his work, he seems like a dangerous worker, too. Just going to say. Mm-hmm. That was my observation, so. Yeah, in terms of, like, the cast, we've spoken about Al Snow. What did you think of uh, Matt Jones? So he comes in from his radio background, purchases OVW with a business partner. And for me, early on in the season, he seems to actually like hate wrestling fans. Like there's a, there's a moment where he says uh, he calls wrestling fans wrestling dorks. They won't pay money for anything. I'm like, that seems like a weird business to get into with that perception of wrestling fans. Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird take on it too because the one thing I know about, and I'll call them wrestling dogs because I'm one of them, but um, hardcore wrestling fans, you can get so much money out of them as long as you're doing good shit. Oh, that's, they spend money. They'll spend money. Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm, I'm sitting here with a background of wrestling masks and wrestling belts that I've paid way too much money for just because I love them. And I've got merchandise for my favorite wrestlers. And, you know, it's, it's literally where the easiest marks and, in the industry of entertainment, you do something cool, you release something cool about that person, we've got it, we'll buy it. From my own experience, like I bought this from the UK, the Blacksmith Apparel shirt. I, I love that shirt. I, I love their stuff at the moment. I was considering buying their um, Scott Hall one. Oh, yes, very nice. Uh, and then I made the Australian Wrestling Cards launch that company, and that's gone incredibly well. So I, wrestling fans will spend money if you make something cool. So yeah. obviously they're not making anything cool enough to warrant people spending money on OVW. Exactly, right. Um, and I think that is honestly the problem is the uh, – it's this weird thing of in this industry, like you said earlier, there's no loyalty, like if they've got to go off to a better offer or whatever. But this is – OVW seems to have this weird thing where they're loyal to a lot of their talent to a fault. So there's some people that are signed and given a spotlight that – I'm not sure, are worthy of the spotlight. Like, are they drawing money? Are they selling merchandise? Are they getting interest? From what I understand, there was only one person on that roster that was moving stuff, uh, moving merchandise from the gimmick table, and that was Haley. I think towards the end of the season, we see, like, the cash flow character. He's, like, he's doing decent at the merch table, but he's not really a character that I would be 
super invested in like paying to watch a $15 pay-per-view. Well, he was the guy I was thinking about when I was doing my rant is uh, he, I don't think the gimmick suits what you see visually. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's a bad wrestler. I'm just saying it needs to be repackaged into something that would make me support him. I wouldn't buy his merch. Yeah. Like he doesn't like the cash flow name screams more like, Hip hop and rap, not exactly random white guy from Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Jones, are you up to the episode where he goes on a first date yet? Yes, I just watched the first date. It was very weird and awkward, and I don't understand why it was there. Uh, maybe it comes in later into the story. No. It, what? It doesn't come back. That's it. It doesn't. No. It's just the weirdest, like, 15 minute segment. I was like, why, why did we agree to film this? Yeah, so, okay, that makes me even more confused because it didn't make any sense being there. No, I think they were just trying to, like, humanize him a little bit, but it didn't humanize him in the right way. It made me just think he was very strange, very weird. I found him a little bit creepy. Mm -hmm. Yes, especially with the comment, I do wrestling, to her. I'm like, bro, you don't do wrestling. You just own a company. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I I don't understand why he agreed to film that, why the producers agreed to include that in the show. Like, it was just strange. Yeah, it was very strange. I don't understand what was there. And then the other moment that really stood out for him was the seizure at the end of episode three. That was probably the scariest moment in the season, and that was probably the moment where everything kind of flips for him and... He kind of gets a little bit nicer afterwards because I think he realizes, oh, these people actually are like nice and like they they look after him in that moment where they could have just been like, oh, stuff this guy. He's Fuck a jerk, so whatever. Yeah. No, uh, look, it's in, uh, like I said, I'm only up to, uh, only just finished episode three. So um, I'm curious to see where that goes with him. But I, I, I think this is my take on this entire season is it's, not just interesting for wrestling fans. I think it's actually an interesting watch for people in business to see how to and how not to manage people. Mm-hmm. The fact that that is even a conversation of he's surprised that people uh, are nice to him. Yeah, as a manager, if you're good at your job, people are nice to you. Yeah, if you, if you treat people well, they will look after you and they'll work harder for you. But he seems surprised by that. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. So, yeah, as a, as a business watch, I find it really interesting as well. Um, the entire time I was watching it, I was sort of watching it with both sets of eyes of, as a wrestling fan, watching the inner workings of the industry and looking at the talent. I, I will say this, I didn't see a lot of bad wrestling on the show. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it was all solid. But, yeah, the other thing is watching it as somebody that works in business and works with um, companies a lot and sort of seeing the inner workings of how this business was run and how terrible their marketing is and their promotions and <laughs> their lack of talent relations, um, which I can understand, you know, a company that small isn't going to have talent relations uh, as a dedicated department or dedicated person. But still, if you haven't got that, you need to be that person now. Yes. Yeah. Or allocate someone that is going to sort of take on that role within the company, but there isn't anyone they're like, they're dealing with people that are what smoking doing drugs in the parking lot of shows and it's like yep. getting arrested at the time. It's yep. like, this is not a great look. Uh, smoking weed before they hop in the ring. and Yeah, just not not a good look for the business side of. I saw some commentary online around Hayley J uh, smoking weed before she hopped in the ring and it was weird takes were like, oh, yeah, but, you know, smoking weed is legal in most places in America. It's not the legality. That's not the issue. Mm. I, back in the day, when I first left university, I worked in a meat factory. Shitty job, but I worked next to a guy who would smoke weed in his break. He'd go for a drive, come back at lunch, and he'd be standing next to me using a sharp knife after smoking weed. And the amount of times where he would be doing a cut and would accidentally knock me in the arm or something he never cut me but he hit me oh jesus and it was like dude it's dangerous right and that's the thing the whole point is smoking weed before you hop in the ring is dangerous yeah yeah it's not it's not the legality issues it's that she's now going in there with people that 
are trusting her to look after them and she might not be all there. Exactly. But yeah, apart from that, I thought Haley was amazing and her mum, the amazing Maria James, the mother-daughter duo was another little aspect that I didn't expect to see in this show, but I thought they were both great. But Haley was definitely the one that stood out as a future star if she can get a life in order. Exactly, exactly. And look, there's one thing I'm, you, we all know about the pro wrestling business is generally it's a family business. Everyone who says, I don't want my kid to get into it, ends up having their kid involved. And um, everyone who says, I don't want to get involved in the the, the industry because my dad was in it, they end up getting involved. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen Haley and Maria's death match yet? Are you up to that episode? No, no, I haven't. I, have to, I can't wait for that. Yes. I'm not much of a death match person myself. Either is Al Snow, apparently. Okay. <laughs> they ask Al, what, what, what's deathmatch wrestling? And he just, his answer is, it's something stupid. Yeah. And look, I, I'm, a, I'm a person that thinks, I think blood being used and weapons being used at the right time is cool. And I don't have a problem with people that are fans of deathmatch wrestling. It's just, I'm one of those people that it's not for me. Yes, I'm the same. I'm never going to go out of my way to watch, to go to an event that's dedicated to deathmatch wrestling. Mm-hmm. I cringe a wee bit when I watch um, Moxley and that and AEW doing deathmatch wrestling. I think I actually I tweeted about it during All In. I was like, um, yeah, I'm not a fan of deathmatch wrestling and I never thought I would see the day that it would be happening in the biggest event in a stadium like um, they had for All In. But hey, for those people that love deathmatch wrestling, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> yeah, I think like, the, the blood and the weapons stuff, like as long as it's used at the right times, like it's, it's, it's not just thrown in there for the sake of it being thrown in there. Like if it's the culmination of some sort of feud, I'm fine with that, but it's the, yeah, exactly. Oh, we're just going to have a death match because we want to have a death match. Like that's, that seems strange. It's dumb. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It definitely needs to build up to that. But look, I'm curious to see what they're like in it because um, I wouldn't have picked Haley J from what I've seen so far as being a death match queen. Yeah. She wasn't, like super keen on doing it but she wanted to do it with her mom as like this will be my first one because apparently her mom has done quite a few of them so it was like a hey let's let's they built it it was this was the culmination of their sort of feud that they build throughout the season and I was like that that makes sense that's cool to see that it's it's there for a reason it's not just oh we're just gonna our first match together is gonna be a death match well that's cool that is cool and I imagine they would have looked after each other being family too right yeah, yeah, they did fantastic, and you have to in wrestling. You have to trust your uh, dance partner, but even more so, I think in deathmatch wrestling, you're l- literally putting your life on the line even more so. And in terms of like the wrestling we see throughout the season, for me, that was the best match that they show in the in the show. Oh, wow. So they did a fantastic job. I'm really was really impressed by that match in particular. Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. We mentioned a couple of the other stars. Mahabali Shira, we sort of already spoke about, like, he's ready to go. It's just a matter of time and place for him. I was shocked Layla Gray wasn't featured as much as I sort of anticipated, given her AEW sort of background as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. There's, and I believe there's a few other people that are on the OVW roster that didn't get any screen time as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a few really interesting ones. Maybe it's just that they didn't want to be a part of a Netflix show they weren't getting paid for because I wouldn't be surprised if none of these people were getting paid for this show. Yeah, I would imagine OVW might have got a payment and that'd be about it. Yep. It just sound, sounds like a Netflix thing to do and a, and an independent wrestling thing to do. <laughs> oh, I, I also it's an independent wrestling thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't mind picking it. That was solely the reason is people were just like, nah, I'm not getting paid. I'm not, don't want to be a part of it. And from like, I can't like be certain of what the timeline was, but based on sort of where it all culminates at the end, I suspect like this may have been in the period where she was, Layla was kind of going off to a lot of dark tapings and sort of just sort of starting to get her feet wet in AEW because at the end of the season, she announces, hey, I've been signed to AEW so perhaps she just wasn't around as much as Netflix needed so that they didn't really want to build a story around her and then have her not be there for three weeks yeah that could absolutely be the case Um, and it could also be the same for those other people like 
I said who have been working OVW in the last few months um, could be, you know, they weren't there at all. And that's the thing. It, um, it, it, anyone who doesn't understand wrestling, it's it's a business where people are traveling literally state to state overnight to get to gig to gig. So um, it's it's a it's a tough business, man. Oh yeah, like we look at Matt Cardona and Steph Delander. There, I was just about to say them. Their their schedule is insane. Yeah, someone uh, I've heard um, Matt Cardona say recently that even if WWE wanted to sign him back, he's booked for a year. Yeah, I think he said yeah, his twenty twenty four calendar is already full. They would need to pay him handsomely to get him to cancel those bookings. Mm-hmm. And Steph's doing just as much work with him at the moment, and it's crazy. Like just today, they were in Japan, and then they're back to the states for a bit, and then not long and then Steph's out here that actually they're both out here for world series they spend a lot of time over here it's really dope yeah they're backwards and forwards all the time and yeah I got it I missed out on tickets for world series <laughs> oh spewing because it looks pretty good yeah not as good as it initially looked they've lost a few of the sort of headline acts over the last few weeks which is a bit disappointing yeah well some some, some people also got signed to deals in the last few months so and then, yeah, the machine guns, I think that's their big loss. Losing those yep. those guys, I think that's going to kind of hurt those shows a little bit. Yeah. The other standout, perhaps the bad reasons, Eric Darkstorm, who we mentioned, doing all of his interviews in hanging out the window of his car. Yeah, he stood out for the wrong reasons, basically the domestic violence towards the end of the season. He seems to actually hate women's wrestling or he's just like jealous of them getting a spotlight, particularly Haley and her success. So like I said, I haven't, I'm not up to those episodes yet, but I will say this is knowing that that does come up, puts into light a lot of the stuff that I've seen with his attitude towards uh, thing. They're, like, they're almost sowing the seeds in the first few episodes where Haley's talking about the jealousy and envy and all that between the two of them and between the spotlight that she's getting and stuff like that. So it's shocking. Mm-hmm. I was surprised that they like showed the sort of the drug use, the domestic violence. I thought that maybe they would have tried to sweep that under the rug a little bit. I have no doubt that OVW probably did try and get them to sweep it under the rug, but they would have also signed, all of those talents would have signed release agreements that said that anything they film is going to end up being on the show, anything that happens is going to end up on the show. It's a risk that they took signing those agreements, and it's a risk they took um, doing those activities while those cameras were around. Yeah, yeah, like if you don't want that to be shown to the world, maybe just don't do that while there's a Netflix camera. Or just don't be a dick and don't do that in general in your life. <laughs> yeah, like the domestic violence, just no. Yeah, no, stop. The drugs, if you want to do drugs, just don't don't bring it into the workplace like a lot of these people seem to do. Well, Al, Al's quite clear in episode one is, I don't care what you do at home when it comes to recreational use. Just don't do it before you're about to get into the ring and don't do it here. Mm-hmm. Haley kind of listens a little bit. There's an episode late in the season where she's still smoking, but because she can't smoke on the property, she drives like to the convenience store, like two doors down and then smokes and then comes back. I'm like, okay, you're kind of, you're kind of doing what he said, but. I think it's episode two when they're on tour, when they're doing the tour of the uh, fairs, the fairs and stuff. They don't really address it, but they show this footage of them talking in the car and she's clearly smoking a joint in the car before she goes, yep. walks into for a match. Yeah. Uh, but they don't really address it and highlight it, but I did pick it up as a viewer. I was just like, she's smoking a joint. But nobody lights a cigarette like that. Yes. Yeah, it was, it was very like, yeah. what the hell is going on here? Um, yeah. Not not the best look for OVW overall. And look, you said it earlier, it sucks seeing a um, wrestling organization that does have such a lineage and such an important role to play historically in this industry, seeing where it is now and how it's been sort of a fall from grace. But also it is what it is, right? It's, it happens to the best businesses when they're not being run well. Yes. Yeah, and then like the last couple of notes I had were sort of touching on the independent wrestling thing. 
I do love that the OVW arena is simply just an industrial unit in a, a complex somewhere and they like, they constantly just like hype up that it's the this big arena thing and then they show the outside and says, Oh, it's just an industrial unit like Yeah, it's it's a, it's looks like an old garage or an old storage unit or something. Yeah, like nearly every independent wrestling promotion here in Australia, like their training academy is generally just an industrial unit somewhere. So there's a training, uh, was it a tryout day for a local um, company here in Sydney next month, and I Googled the address, and the address is a house. Oh, good. Lovely. Right? <laughs> but that's how the industry is, right? Yep. Especially the smaller um, local uh, independents. It's, there's something cool about cool mm, kitsch i don't know i'm trying to struggle to find the words but yeah there's something cool about uh local wrestling doing it old school still yeah like i don't mind the industrial unit thing like i've been to the pwa academy and yeah like it's a very nice setup it's a nice new modern industrial unit but yeah yep. it's an industrial unit it's not an arena don't promote it as an arena it's the same as the New Japan uh, dojo in Auckland. It's it's a nice unit. It's a, actually a quite a modern one, but it's just an industrial unit. It's a garage. Then they're not going to be like, oh, come to our stadium or arena show. Like, no, it's it's no, our, no. our academy. I mean, they call it the New Japan, uh, what is it? It's the, it's the Fale Dojo, New Japan Pro Wrestling Fale Dojo, but they're not hiding what it is. Yeah. And then I also like that they, OVW, were running a couple of brewery shows Again, very similar to what we're seeing recently in Australia with PWA, MCW, uh, Riot City Wrestling, and even EPW over the last like 12 months have run sort of co-promoted events with like independent breweries. And it's like, that's, I think that's a cool crossover that we're seeing with wrestling now where they're like, in general? they're getting into that sort of, let's promote us more as an entertainment thing that can come into your venue and help you as well as help us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's something we've seen for a long time, I think, with like uh, expos and stuff like that. Like we see it with Comic Cons and stuff like that all the time. But seeing it happening at businesses, like there was actually, I can't remember who it was that were doing one in Melbourne recently. Uh, I was considering flying down for the show because it looked like it was going to be a cool show. Yeah, like running at a brewery, perfect fit. Like people come in, they have a few beers, and then they watch some wrestling and love it. PWA have been like doing a lot of the music crossover stuff as well. Like they had the the emo night recently, which was actually super fun. Oh, were you, were you at that one, were you? Yeah. So I was at the, that show and it, it started off a little bit strange where it was kind of a mixture of wrestling fans and the emo night people and neither of them really knew like how to sort of react to each element of the show. But then once everyone kind of got into it and had a few drinks in them and they're like, oh, this is actually really fun now. Yeah. You know, that's, that's super cool. The, the other cool thing uh, that happens here in Australia, which is actually super unique in Australia, which is a similar concept, right, is uh, the workers' clubs and um, uh, RSLs and stuff like that having wrestling on. Other countries around the world don't have networks of local bars like we do here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with like big, big halls in them, essentially. That have massive halls, yeah. And it's super unique here that we have that where wrestling promotions can go from RSL to workers' clubs and stuff like that and put on really good shows for decent-sized audiences too. The local show that I go to for uh, All-Star Wrestling Australia I go to their local one at the Padstow RSL every month and it's getting bigger and bigger and I genuinely think they're having to look for a new hall because they're filling that every month now. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. Yeah, I go I go to PWA regularly and Rock and Roll Wrestling and they're the same. Like, oh, I haven't I haven't checked out Rock and Roll Wrestling yet. Yeah, PWA, they give you the sort of 18 plus. This one's for the adults and the hardcore wrestling fans, really. Yeah, absolutely. And then you get Rock and Roll, which is like where the kid-friendly show, like, Come down to Wollongong, go out for dinner, check out the beach, and then come to a wrestling show in the evening and have a great time. Yeah. I'll have to check those guys out. I, lo- I love silly wrestling. Yeah, that, and that's what it is. Like they, have, they have a character who is the tradie. Um, they have an, yeah. another guy who's the bachelor. Like it's just it's yeah. fun, silly, gimmicky stuff, and it's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I love my good, serious wrestling as well. Uh, but I don't think that can exist without silly wrestling as well. Like using AEW as the example, right? 
you've got Moxley and the the Blackpool Combat Club, which is super serious wrestling. Mm -hmm. Like we are hardcore wrestlers. But on the same show, you can have Danhausen, who is uh, cursing people, running around cursing people. Yep. Yeah, or or the best friends like hugging or uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Orange Cassidy wrestling with his hands in his pockets. Who doesn't seem to care about anything, but does. <laughs> but that's like the perfect mix of fun and serious. And yeah, rock and roll do a lot of that. And their next show is October twenty eighth, the Halloween theme show. So I'm expecting a lot of sort of silly costume gimmick stuff. Oh, that'd be cool. See that. That's what I enjoy about All Star Wrestling Australia as well. Is there a really good mix of a lot of it is just silly wrestling, but they they're holding it in workers' clubs where kids are coming in, so they need it to be a bit silly. Oh, the huge sacrifice that some wrestlers uh, make to be involved in wrestling, like sacrificing time with their family. Uh, Mahabali Shearer chats about being suicidal when he was released from WWE, which was yep. a very heavy moment. And then they even had one of the uh, wrestlers. She sold her her house to fund her wrestling passion. I'm like, okay, that's a crazy move. Look, I know people who have um, made sacrifices like that to fund their passions. Sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't, but full credit to them for even going that far. Like you said, uh, Shira is the prime example of that. He's left his family behind in India, mm -hmm. and uh, he's still sending money back to India to help look after his family back there but he's having to, to his sacrifice he's making is leaving them at home and to keep them funded he's doing uber eats deliveries yeah he's not like making a living just purely on wrestling he's out there hustling yeah. doing everything he can I, I think that's also the ego sacrifice as well right so in wrestling it's an ego driven uh, industry which i think it needs to be but at the same time being able to put aside your ego and go, I also need to feed my family, which means I'm going to, when I'm not in the ring, I'm delivering food. If you can't make 100% of a living off wrestling, get out there and do other bits and pieces and do as much as you can so that you can continue to chase that passion. If you really love it, you'll be happily making those sacrifices. Absolutely. It's the same with, uh, look, getting into podcasting. I'm doing podcasting on the side as a fun thing that I'm passionate about. I'm not making a living off of that. I have to make my living off my day job. Uh, and then the last note and thing that really stood out to me is towards the end of the season, they OVW attempt to book, they or they actually do book, James Storm for some matches against Shearer. And Matt totally like blows up James Storm's business, really. He calls out his $600 booking fee and then says, oh, for $600, he's not even going to sell 60 tickets. I'm like, what the hell? He's a big guy that you're bringing in and you've just shit all over him. Like, Yeah, we're sitting here in Australia and we know who this guy is. Yeah, he's probably not going to want to come back now after that <laughs> or he's going to charge you double. I would also argue 600 bucks is a pretty good price for James Storm. Yes. Was that his, was that his, total, was that his total booking fee? For... I think that was for like one show, but like still, like that's a pretty decent rate for someone that has been an impact world champion, impact tag, multiple time impact tag team champion. Like uh, he had a cup of coffee in NXT. Yes. Yeah. Like he's, he's got national TV exposure, global TV exposure. Anyone who's an impact or TNA fan considers the guy a legend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like Ohio feels like that would be prime territory for, James Storm fans like let's go and check out James Storm at OVW like it's just down the road yeah I, I would think so like just looking at the um attendees and sort of the fact the fact that they're on a Christian TV channel <laughs> and all that sort of thing like I would assume that a lot of their viewers would be good old boys yes they would get into the good old boy beer drinking um cowboy gimmick yeah 100% so it was weird that they broadcast that on Netflix and just blew up his whole whole business age. yeah that is a weird weird choice to make I, I imagine his booking fee has changed a little bit now potentially and it's funny because he packs a shit about paying that price but as someone who like i said i go to local shows here and i've seen a show that has booked an international or a big name talent like james storm for their shows here and i've watched their attendance go from 200 people attending to 600 people attending mm -hmm from month to month because 
they've booked a big talent. Uh, when they booked Ultimo Dragon locally here, um, all of a sudden we went from one month sitting at tables, being able to eat and put our beer down while we're watching the show to, nope, there's no tables this week because Ultimo Dragon's here and we've sold too many tickets. Yeah, and I, even Rock and Roll Wrestling a few years back booked, they had a show with uh, Tennille Dashwood and Ryback and we went from an RSL club to the the snake pit, a basketball stadium in Wollongong. It's like, yeah, it's, it, that's what booking someone like that can do for your shows. It, Absolutely. It'll bring in different new people who then will probably get hooked and come to the next show. Like it's an investment. Yeah. It's not just a one-off fee. And also working with those talent, make your wrestlers better. Yes. hundred percent. Bit weird that they put that in there, but. Oh, it made for an interesting bit of footage. Yeah. In terms of, so you're only a few episodes in, what would you sort of rate wrestlers on Netflix so far? Uh, okay. I do find that the show is a slow moving doco. And I think most wrestling fans these days, like if I'm going to assume that most viewers are going to be wrestling fans and the fact that they don't have, apart from Al, they don't have a lot of big names on the show. I think, think it's probably going to be let's say we're doing it out of 10 uh, i usually do out of five okay out of five i'm going to rate it a three because i think it's interesting super interesting but the entertainment factor i did find i mean i've had an entire week to watch the entire season if it was a fast moving show i would have actually probably stayed and watched everything back to back which i do for an interesting show but i have found it hard to watch this show back to back I'm watching an episode, I'm going off, I'm coming back and watching another episode, I'm going away, I'm coming back and watching another episode. So, yeah, three, three out of five. I think it's a solid show. It's just not binge-worthy. Yep, that makes sense to me. Um, I watched it with my mum and, like, for her to get in- involved and interested in it, I think that spoke highly of it for me. Yeah, is she a wrestling fan at all? No. There you go. She says she doesn't like MJF. Perfect. But she runs in and watches every single time. Yeah, but that's exactly what you want, right? Is MJF isn't the guy that you want mum to love. Yes. Mum should hate MJF. Yeah, she hates MJF, but she has to watch him every single time. So Yeah. Which is perfect. So yeah, she watched it. And for me, like at seven episodes, it's probably too long and too drawn out. I think yep. maybe four, four or five would have been like the the, the sweet spot. Um, but yeah, other than that, yeah, I, I would sit around a three as well. Like really solid show, super interesting if you're a wrestling fan or have sort of business knowledge and want to sort of get into yeah. small business ownership and how to sort of look after people. This is a prime example of what not to do. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, that's Netflix's wrestlers rated, reviewed, recapped, reacted to. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the commentary booth. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on podcast services and on YouTube. Uh, Fid, do you want to go ahead and plug plug away all your stuff and all the social media handles? Yeah, look, um, check out uh, Down Under the Ring. We uh, put two episodes out every single week, an AEW show and a WWE show. Uh, highly recommend uh, checking those out because we've got uh, a lot of cool guests coming on now. Um, so you can find us uh, on all your uh, podcast platforms. Just look up Down Under the Ring, uh, as well as on our socials. It's DWN Under the Ring on uh, Twitter or X. And then we're just Down Under the Ring on every other platform. Uh, and you can follow me at FidMcAwesome on everything as well. Um, luckily, I've got this same handle on everything and uh, anything for Original Geek. If you're following me, you'll see it. Yeah, perfect. Uh, and you can follow me on social media at Jamie Apps Media and at Pario Magazine. Like you, it's the same thing across everything. Yep. Uh, brand consistency is important. So uh, thank you for coming on the, the show and good luck with the podcast and Original Geek and we'll hopefully collaborate more. Yeah, look, we have to have you. We have to have you on our podcast one day, uh, and uh, you can react to the week of wrestling with us. Perfect. Happy to do it anytime. Sounds good. The commentary booth is a fan-funded production of Jamie Apps Media. You can support the podcast alongside our magazine, Pario Magazine, on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Jamie Apps Media. The following people supported at the community support group level or higher and you cannot fathom how incredibly appreciative we are for their support.
Brian and June Hart, Blake Robinson, Rena Renee, Courtney Paulson, Darren Hatcliffe, Jackson Carr, and Tracy Epps.